Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. Greetings on this second Sunday of Global Awareness Week. Whether you're in Watertown or Wilmington or uh, online or here in Lexington, we're glad you're here with us this morning. Now, today's message will do double duty. We will be gathering up some of the ideas and stories and challenges we've been hearing from our partners around the world and around the city this week. But we will also be pressing on in our journey through the book of Acts as we learn what it means to be on mission with the Apostle Paul. So this morning, we'll be learning from both Paul and our partners what it means to be on mission in hard places. I'd like to begin with a clip from the film Saving Private Ryan. Now, most of us are familiar with this film. It is set in the days of the Normandy invasion during World War II. And the film follows a small squad of soldiers as they set out to find another soldier named Ryan. He is uh, the, the... the last of four brothers who have all been sent off to serve, and his three brothers have already lost their lives in action. And so the mission of this squad is to go out and find Private Ryan and bring him to safety. They are led by Captain Miller, a tough army ranger and war hero played by Tom Hanks. Now in this particular scene, the squad happens upon an enemy machine gun nest. The men don't like the odds and they want to go around it. Captain Miller sees things a little bit differently. So let's listen in on their conversation for just a moment. Don't get too hung up on the military details. Just listen for the tension and the competing points of view. Machine gun. Probably MG-42. Jesus. Is that what got those guys? I knew one of them was on board. No, their patches are 82nd, so your luck's not that good. Yeah, I don't know how fast the rest of you Betty's are. And I'm thinking we detour this way, quick and quiet, the crowds will never even know we were here. So, Captain, what I'm trying to say is why don't we just go around the thing? I hear what you're saying. We can't go around it. I'm with Robin on this one, sir. You know, we left them 88. For the Air Force. The Air Forces are going to spin ordnance on one machine gun. Uh, Captain. We can still skip it and accomplish our mission. I mean, this isn't our mission, right, sir? Well, that's what you want to do, Malish? You just want to leave it here so they can ambush the next company that comes along? No, sir, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying it seems like an unnecessary risk given our objective, sir. Our objective is to win the war. Sir, I just, uh, I don't have a good feeling about this one. When was the last time you felt good about anything? Well, there on the French countryside, Captain Miller and his men found themselves in a hard place. His men wanted nothing to do with it. A handful of soldiers were no match for a fortified enemy position. Can't we just go around it and get on with our mission? It's not our mission, sir, they said. But Captain Miller saw things differently. He saw the bigger picture. He knew that other allied forces would be coming along behind them, walking into harm's way. Our mission is to win the war, he reminded them. There was no going through that hard place. Going around that hard place, they would have to go through that hard place. You see, to the men, this was, a, this was a dangerous distraction, an unnecessary risk. 
But to Captain Miller, it was absolutely critical to the success of their mission. And what happened there in that hard place would in fact turn out to be critical to their mission. They would not only make the way safe for those who followed them, but there under the strain and stress and even pain of combat and loss, they would come together as a unit under Captain Miller's leadership. Now, as most of you know, this is a tough film to watch. Many of the images and the languages, it's hard to take and it's not easy to forget. So don't get the kiddos on the couch this afternoon and say, Pastor Brian has a good movie for us to watch. (laughs) This is not that kind of film. But like most war movies, it forces us to confront some of the harsh realities of human experience. And one of those realities is that things don't always go according to plan. Stuff happens. Things go wrong. They fall apart. And suddenly we find ourselves facing circumstances that we never imagined, that we never expected, that we don't feel prepared for. And they can feel like a distraction, like an unnecessary risk, like a threat to the life we've imagined or the mission that we feel called to. What we're going to discover here this morning is that these hard places can be the very places in which God is at work. Now, some of us may be in those kinds of places right now. Maybe you ever find yourself in a situation that just seems overwhelming, something you never expected, something you weren't bargaining for, and suddenly there you are in the middle of it. Like those soldiers, you'd love to find a way just just to go around it and get on with life, get on with your mission. But again, it's in these hard places that God is at work. He's doing something bigger than we could ever have imagined, something of eternal significance. So let's once again go to the book of Acts. Let's catch up with Paul on his journey, and let's allow his experience and some stories from our partners help us to understand that living on mission includes hard places as well. So we're going to catch up with Paul and one of the hard places he encountered on his journey. We're going to go back in the story to chapter 16, back to Philippi, to a story we skipped over. Uh, Several weeks ago, it's back near the beginning of his second missionary journey. We're going to walk through this little story. There's three movements to the story. There's There's an unexpected hardship, which prompts an unexpected response, which yields an unexpected result. So, let's walk our way through the story. Before we read, let me just kind of recap what's happened. Remember, Paul has had a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him across the Aegean Sea to... Uh, to Macedonia, to the continent that we would now call Europe. And so he answers that call. They go to Macedonia, and they go straight to the, one of the leading cities of that region, Philippi. And there in Philippi, they meet a businesswoman named Lydia, and she comes to faith in Christ. And the mission in Philippi is launched from her house. Well, soon after that, Paul and his companions cast a demon out of a demon-possessed slave girl. But the slave girl's owners had been making money off of her torment. And so when Paul delivered her, it was good news for the girl, but bad news for the owners who lost their income. It was bad news for others in that city who are trafficking people in some of the very same ways. So let's see what happens after that. We'll pick up the story in Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar. 
by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, I think we'd all agree this is a hard place they have found themselves in. I mean, look, listen again to all that's happened. They've been seized, dragged, attacked verbally, stripped, beaten with rods, severely flogged, thrown into the dungeon, and fastened in the stocks. Now, what made it all the more difficult, it was not only unexpected, this was undeserved. Remember, they'd come to Philippi to help people. They had come to bring good news, and that's all they had done. They hadn't broken any laws. They hadn't encouraged anyone else to break laws. These were all trumped-up charges against them. In fact, these were racially motivated charges. These men are Jews, the crowd said. They're foreigners. They're outsiders. They're suspect. So here they are. They come to Philippi on a mission from God. They do good things. Things start out wonderfully, and suddenly they find themselves harassed, attacked, brutally beaten, and thrown into prison. Why, God? Why, Lord? Why this detour? There's there's so much to be done out there on the streets of Philippi, and we're locked up here in this dungeon. Can't we just go around it, sir, and get on with our mission? They might easily have said. Well, I got to spend some time with some of our partners this past week, and I asked them to help me with this message I asked them to describe some of the hard places they have found themselves in while they've been on mission with God. Several of them spoke about unfair treatment like this from from police, from local governments, from religious institutions, and not just around the world. That was right here in Massachusetts as well. They talked about getting yanked off of airplanes and interrogated for hours on end. They spoke about pastors and elders of a church in Beijing who have been under house arrest for years now simply because they wanted to go to church and worship. The Ridbecks talked about trying to bring fresh, fresh water to a remote mountain village only to be met with resistance and hostility from the very people they were trying to help. The Millers from Jordan told about the day they were having a family Christmas celebration when there was a knock on the door. It was the police, and they took Jody home with them. That was a hard Christmas day, he said. I guess so. We think a hard Christmas day is traffic on the way to Grandma's. This was a hard Christmas day. Our friends in Cairo told us about a mission team from their church, a mission team just like the teams that we send out from our church that went to a closed country nearby. That team was arrested, thrown in jail, where one of them died. Why, Lord? Why these these dangerous detours? Why these unnecessary uh, obstacles? There's so much to be done out there. Sometimes we find ourselves in hard places too. Maybe not as dramatic as these. Maybe not as dangerous as these. But unexpected, undeserved, hard places. All this fall, we've been talking about going on mission with God, joining him in his work in this world, uh, on campus, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, the city, around the world. And it's all been inspiring and compelling. But I'm sure some folks are saying, Pastor, you have no idea what I'm dealing with in life. I'm just trying to survive here, let alone trying to be on mission with God. 
Maybe you're trying to find work after many, many months of searching. Maybe you're dealing with a wayward child or some family crisis. Maybe you're trying to get settled in a new and unfamiliar city or country. Others perhaps have answered the call. Maybe you've, you've taken a step on mission. You've, you've, you've gone out there. You've joined with some, some organization, some mission. You're trying to meet people's needs. You're trying to make a difference in the community. And suddenly you find yourself in a hard place, in a hospital room, dealing with an illness, yours or someone else's. Maybe, maybe in, a, in a nursing home, caring for aging parents. Maybe in a counselor's office, trying to save your marriage. Maybe in a courtroom, trying to get justice. Maybe in a funeral home, grieving for yourself or someone close to you. And it feels like an interruption. It feels like a distraction from the life that that, that we've dreamed of, from the mission that God is calling us to. Can't we just go around this, Lord, and get on with life, get on with our mission? But to paraphrase Captain Miller, this is our mission. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus in word and deed. Our mission is is to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever and whenever we are. Our mission is to join God in his work. And it turns out that God does some of his best work in hard places, in hospitals and nursing homes and counselor's offices and courtrooms. So what feels like a detour or a distraction may actually be critical to the mission God has called us to. Let's press on in the story. Let's go see what happens next in verse 25. Unexpected response. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. So the story began with an unexpected hardship, and now we find an unexpected response. The first thing we notice is that Paul and Silas are singing and praying in prison. Now think again about what they've been through. The mob, arrested, beaten, humiliated, thrown in jail. Their feet are in the stocks, which would have put them in such an awkward position, it would have been difficult even to sit comfortably, let alone lay down and sleep. And here they are at midnight, praying and singing. Now, we're not told what they were praying. I know what I'd be praying. Lord, get me out of here. We are told what they were singing. And it wasn't Folsom Prison Blues. They were singing hymns, hymns of praise to God. Now, let's be sure we understand what's going on here, what's not going on here. I don't think this is a pious, glib, praise the Lord anyway kind of singing, as if what happened to them wasn't painful or confusing or difficult. And I don't think this was a fake it till you make it kind of singing, trying to convince themselves that things were going to turn out okay because they didn't know if things were going to turn out okay. No, this was an it is well with my soul kind of singing. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, 
thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is blessed be your name kind of singing. On the road marked with suffering, when I'm found in the desert place, even there my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. This was an honest turning to God in the face of disappointment and uncertainty. This was a declaration of faith, even in a hard place. Now, it's logical to ask, how did they do this? Where did they find this kind of faith? Well, let's just put it this way. They didn't learn these songs in jail. They didn't yank out their smartphones and Google the lyrics. They knew these songs because they had sung them so many times before. They'd sung them in worship with the company of God's people. They'd sung them in their private times with God. See, you don't, you don't find faith in the desert place. You access faith in the desert place. Faith you have cultivated in all the other seasons of life. The hard thing about hard places is they're often so unexpected. We don't know when and where and how they're going to happen to us. So the best way to prepare for hard places is to make the most of fertile places. You see, if you, can, if you develop the habit of singing praise to God in the daylight, well, then you'll have songs to sing at midnight. If you can learn to pray in the comfort and safety of your living room, you'll be able to pray in the trauma of a hospital room. Make the most of every opportunity, Paul says, because the days are evil. When we make the most of the, of the fertile, rich, abundant, sunshine seasons of life, we'll be ready to make the most of the hard, difficult, unexpected seasons of life. And so the first unexpected response is that they're singing and praying in prison. The second response is not quite as obvious, but just as important. And that was that they stayed. They stayed. I don't know much about being in jail. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> but it seems to me that if you're in jail and the ground shakes and the doors blow open and the chains fall off, it's time to go. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like jailbreak to me. But Paul and Silas don't go. They stay. And somehow they persuade everyone else to stay as well. It seems like they're still sitting in their cells when the, the earth stops shaking. Now, why? Why did they stay? Remember, they don't deserve to be there. This whole thing is, is false accusation. And it sure seems as though God is orchestrating the breakout. When something like this happened to Peter back in chapter 12, Peter had no qualms about walking out of prison and going on home. But Paul and Silas stay. Why? They must have sensed that God was up to something. Maybe instead of praying for God to get them out, they had been praying for God to use them in that prison. Maybe they hadn't just been singing for the benefit of the other prisoners. Maybe they'd been singing for the benefit of the jailer as well. Whatever it was, they decided, they decided that whatever God was doing in that jail was more important than their comfort and safety. I'll say that again. Whatever God was doing in that jail was more important than their comfort and safety. And so they stayed 
They decided it's part of our mission to be here. Now, last Sunday, our, our guest speaker, Libby, described for us a hard place they found themselves in years ago when she and her family were serving in Afghanistan, when violence broke out in their village. She told of the day that peacekeeping forces came through with tanks to take them out to safety. And she told how they decided to stay, to stay and carry on their medical work she and her husband and their two young girls. And you could have heard a pin drop in the sanctuary when she told that story because there wasn't a one of us who could imagine staying under circumstances like that. But do you remember what happened after that? We'll find out later. When I talked to our partners about this, they all understood perfectly. Oh, we would have stayed too, they said. We have stayed, in fact. Or they have gone back to hard places again and again. They've gone back even when they've been kicked out once or twice or three times. They've gone back even at risk to themselves. They've gone back even when they could be retired and staying home near their family in the States. They keep going back to these hard places. You know why? because they know God is at work in those places. And they know that God does some of his best work in hard places, but you have to stay. They understand that living on mission means staying on mission. Living on mission means staying on mission, even in hard places. It's the staying that yields unexpected results. So let's press on to the final movement of the story. It begins at verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So here's this jailer. Now, chances are he's a retired Roman soldier who has seen and done some awful things in his lifetime. Chances are he contributed to the roughing up that Paul and Silas got on their way into the inner cell and the stocks. Chances are he's not the religious type of person. And yet here he is, on his knees, coming to Jesus. Why? What could have prompted such a response? What would make a hard-hearted, hard-bitten man like this listen to a couple of preachers? Well, a couple things come to mind. First of all, maybe it was the fact that they sang even while they were in prison. We know know the other prisoners were listening, and so chances are the guard was listening too. That's one of the things you have to remember when you're in a hard place. People are watching. People are listening. Now, people are watching all the time. If you, if, you, if you name the name of Christ, people are watching you to see how you live your life. And they're watching in the good times. But when you're in a hard time, when you're going through a tough stretch, people are really watching. Will your faith hold up? 
Will you display a strength and a peace and a comfort that, that they can't possibly understand? When you go through a hard time, God can use it because people are watching like never before, like that jailer. And so the, the, the jailer probably listened because they had sung songs, but you know what? Other prisoners prayed in jail. Other prisoners sing songs in jail. What was it about these prisoners that set them apart? It was the fact that they stayed, right? I mean, they could have run for it. They could have been free. They could have escaped and saved their own neck. Instead, they stayed to save his neck. If Paul and Silas don't stay, this conversation never happens, right? If they leave, this conversation never happens. It doesn't matter how inspiring the singing has been. So the singing earned them the right to be heard, but the staying gave them the opportunity to be heard. The singing gave them the right to be heard, the staying gave them the opportunity to be heard. Well, look what happens next. He takes Paul and Silas home with him. Now, again, I don't know much about jail, but I'm guessing the guards don't typically take the inmates home for dinner. <laughs> Come meet the wife and kids. It'll be swell. <laughs> I'm guessing they don't typically give them a sponge bath in their home. But that's what this guy does. And then he and his whole household come to faith. Wife, kids, servants, dogs, cats, anything in the house, they all come to faith. Amazing things happen when you stay. And so again, I'm remembering Libby's story from last Sunday. How alone and vulnerable they felt as they watched those tanks roll out of town, left by themselves in that dangerous place. But do you remember what happened after that? For the first time, people in the village began to trust them began to seek them out. In fact, as the days went along, whenever a person or a family in that village encountered trouble, their neighbors would say to them, go to the home of the people who stayed. Go to the home of the people who stayed. Wouldn't that be a great way to be known? As the person who stayed, when it got hard, when it got scary, when it got difficult, when you find yourself in a hard place, people are watching. They're watching in part to see how you'll handle it, but they're also watching to see if you'll hang in there. Will you hang in there with them and with God until things are resolved? You never know what God might do if you stay. So this first expected res unexpected result is that this jailer and his family come to faith, but then something else happens. Look at how the story ends, verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort them out, escort us out. Now, wouldn't you love to have been there for that conversation? <laughs> Here's the jailer at home, knock on the door. Messengers from the constable's office say, hey, you can let those guys go. And he says, funny thing, they're sitting right here. Yo, Paul, they say that you're free, you can go home. Paul says, uh-uh, not so fast. You tell them to come down here and escort us out. And by the way, tell them to call CNN and have their cameras rolling as well. 
Now, understand what's going on here. Paul is not just grandstanding. He's not just rubbing it into the authorities. Like Captain Miller, he is making the way safe for those who will follow. You see, Paul knows that when he leaves town, other believers are going to remain. And he wants to make the way safe for them. He doesn't want them thrown into jail for preaching good news. He doesn't want them beaten for delivering slave girls. So now we begin to understand why why it was so critical for Paul and Silas to go through this hard place rather than around it. It wasn't only for the salvation of that jailer and his household. It was to bring justice to that community so that slave girls could be set free and people could worship and minister more freely. You see, God does amazing things when you stay, when you stay on mission. And we can't leave the story without telling you one more story from our partners this week. Actually, two. The first one came to me just yesterday. I was joining a small group of us who went down to, uh, to Dorchester to work with Boston Project for the day, cleaning up some parks and, and homes in their neighborhood. Uh, and I was talking with Paul Malcolm, who's the director there, about how they got started there in that neighborhood in Dorchester. And he told me about how they moved in there in 1995, if I remember right. Just, he and his wife got a place to live there, no idea what God had in store, but just praying that they might be a part of something good that God might do in that neighborhood. And after 18 years, all kinds of ministry has been flourishing. That neighborhood is flourishing in large part because of their presence and those who have come around them and the ministries that have sprung up. But you know what he said to me? He said, we've been here for 18 years, and I feel like the best years are still to come. Like the best years are ahead of us. That's what happens when you stay. Well, last week we, uh, we also heard from a, a, a young man named Cisco. Cisco is part of the staff at uh, Straight Ahead Ministries. And he's been here with us this week as well. He's actually at the Watertown campus this morning, so they get to see him personally. Well, not too many years ago, Cisco found himself in a hard place. After several years of running with gangs in the city of Lynn, he found himself thrown into jail for two and a half years. He got himself into so many fights in jail that he got himself thrown into the hole, solitary confinement, again and again, sometimes for months at a time. But there in the hole, in solitary confinement, in that hard place, God began to do a work in his heart. There was nothing he could do there but read and think. And so that's what he did. He said for the first time in his life, he began to read and think, and God began to stir something in his heart. And that's when Pastor Claire and some of the folks from straight ahead began to show up. They came to the jail every Friday afternoon just to visit with inmates. It wasn't a pleasant way to spend a Friday afternoon. And the authorities didn't always make it easy on them. They didn't, sometimes they didn't get to see anybody, but they kept showing up, Cisco said, every Friday afternoon for two years. And whenever they got to Cis- talk to Cisco, they talked to him about Jesus. To make a long story short, Cisco eventually came to faith, trusting Christ to forgive him and give him a fresh start in life. And when he got out on parole, the folks from straight ahead were there to meet him, help him get a job, get him enrolled in school. But the gangs were there too. And the old grudges were there too. And four days after getting out, some of those rival gang members tried to gun Cisco down in the middle of the street. Now, that's about the time most people would have left town. 
time to go someplace new and get a fresh start. But Cisco stayed. He stayed. He finished school. He joined the staff of Straight Ahead. And today he works the very streets and serves the very gangs that once tried to kill, nearly killed him. And the really cool part is that Cisco is now enrolled in seminary. <laughs> so what God did for that jailer, God is still doing today. Sooner or later, we will all find ourselves in a hard place, a place we didn't expect, a place we didn't sign up for, and we'll want to say, God, can't we just go around this one and get on with life and get on with our mission? But we need to remember that people are watching in the hard places, and God is working in the hard places, which is why living on mission means staying on mission, because God does some of his best work in hard places. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you again for these remarkable stories we read in the scriptures, stories of real people from real time and real places that sometimes seem long ago and far away, and yet as we've discovered this morning, uh, they speak so very powerfully to our own lives and circumstances, and we see that you are still at work in those same remarkable and miraculous ways. So we thank you for all the great stories we have heard and celebrated this past week. We thank you for the inspiration and challenge that we have received. We pray for those here this morning who might be in a hard place right now, that they, in fact, might turn to you in prayer and praise, find you to be a faithful God, that you might, in fact, use this hard place to do something good in them and through them for your glory. We thank you now, Lord, for some moments to gather around the communion table. And one more time, Reflect upon all that you have done for us to make a life and mission like this possible. In Jesus' name, amen.